This is Charlotte Melziner, area dog trainer and judge. You're listening to another exciting episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Welcome to the Animal Academy podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews, and you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. In this podcast, I speak with people from all different areas of specialization regarding their experiences with a human-animal connection. My hope is to broaden all of our perspectives on what's available and to spark interest among others who also appreciate the role that animals play in our lives. I met Dr. Pam Linden while attending the University of Tennessee's Veterinary Social Work Program. I admired her passion and energy and learned from her expertise and guidance throughout the program. She has some exciting programs to share, and I'm honored to speak with Dr. Linden about these new developments in the field. Dr. Linden, welcome to this episode of the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you could join me. Dr. Linden, you have a very interesting professional background. Could you tell me a little bit about how you first got started in the field? Sure, I'm happy to. I spent about 10 years running mental health programs, community mental health programs in Connecticut. I really loved the work. I ran group homes, and I was part of the 1980s deinstitutionalization movement, Mm -hmm. where my programs went into state psychiatric hospitals and helped people transition from the hospital into the community. I ran programs that were designed to support people with serious and persistent mental illness in the community, including 24-hour group homes, supervised apartments. So we assisted them with case management, activities of daily living, and really kind of assisting them in transitioning. So I moved to Long Island in 1996 and got my master's and PhD at Stony Brook University. I became a professor of social work at Stony Brook, and one of my students did an independent study working with animal-assisted intervention and doing a paper, mm-hmm. and she came to me and said, you have to meet this veterinarian who started an animal-assisted therapy program. And that's how I met a veterinarian who told me about veterinary social work. Wow. So that was about 2014. I met that veterinarian and looked into the veterinary social work program at the University of Tennessee and got involved with them. That's a wonderful story. I actually, I'll probably have to talk to you later about this, Dr. Linden, because my background started out the exact same way in community mental health, helping people stay independently in their own apartments, keeping them out of uh, the hospital. And it started during the exact deinstitutionalization of of state hospitals. So that's how I got my start. So I'm excited to hear that that you got a similar start as well. I really loved that work. You know, as social workers, we're, we're trained and prepared to work with many different populations. I think we naturally gravitate toward different populations. And for me, that was the population that I, I gravitated toward. Interestingly, 
this was again in the 1980s before I had any training whatsoever in veterinary social work. Mm -hmm. And we did have a dog in one of our group homes. I have the benefit of being able to look back and say, wow, we really didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we could have done much, uh, much better. Kind of had I known then what I know now about how important it is to have training and experience before bringing an animal into a mental health setting. I guess some of those early experiences informed my decision to get training from the University of Tennessee. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that, too. What drove me to get my veterinary social work certification is watching my clients in community mental health and seeing the power of their pets in their lives. And they couldn't always afford veterinary care. And so we oftentimes would have to intervene and, you know, try to get as many resources to help them out. And so I started Googling how to help our clients. And then I kind of found the program and somebody else who went to the program said, you have to do that. So that kind of community mental health led me into the veterinary social work program kind of through the back door. Right. Dr. Linden, could you tell us a little bit about what veterinary social work is? Sure. Veterinary social work is a, what I call a a space. So what I mean by that is it's an inclusive space where people who are interested in animals can gather for the purpose of specialized training. So veterinary social work includes four areas as defined by the University of Tennessee Veterinary Social Work Certificate Program. At this time, that is the only university training program around. The four areas of veterinary social work, as defined by the founder of veterinary social work, Dr. Elizabeth Strand, who's Mm -hmm. the director of veterinary social work at the University of Tennessee, the four areas are grief and bereavement that's pet-related, conflict management and compassion fatigue, animal-assisted interactions, and the link between human and animal violence. So those are four areas that we get training in at Mm -hmm. the University of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Many different disciplines work within those areas. So that's why I'd like to call the veterinary social work a space. At this time, there's no license or recognized certification for veterinary social work. That's something that we'll definitely be working toward in the future. But in the meantime, I'd like to, again, consider the vast disciplines of people who work within this space. So people can be psychologists and psychiatrists and licensed mental health professionals and work with people regarding many of these issues that are within veterinary social work. Mm -hmm. And the last podcast, we interviewed Phil Arco. And he talked a lot about the link. And that was a really interesting conversation. So he plays a a very important role in this as well. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up, Allison, because each of these four areas of veterinary social work, as defined by the University of Tennessee Certificate Program, there's a great deal of expertise out there. And and Phil Arkell, with with, with the link between human and animal violence, certainly is a very well-regarded and well-respected researcher and writer on the topic. 
So the idea here is that there are these areas have a great deal of research and expertise behind them. The certificate program brings together those four main areas. And so a certificate student is exposed to training and experience to best prepare them to attend to the human needs that arise in the intersection between veterinary medicine and social work practice, which is the definition from the University of Tennessee Veterinary Social Work Program. So it's really to provide support to each other in all of our er- and bringing in all of our areas of expertise to help each other out for the benefit of the animals, but as you know, and also for the people who are taking care of the animals. Right. Oftentimes, when I tell people that I'm a veterinary social worker, I don't know if this happens to you as well. They say, "Oh, do you do social work with animals?" Yeah. And no, no, we attend to the human needs. Again, this, in- this intersection between veterinary practice and social work. Mm-hmm. So it's how we can assist people. And the reality is, is that if you're doing something to help animals as a veterinary professional, you're also helping people. So veterinary social workers are specially trained to be able to interact with the human side of veterinary medicine so that the medical folks can attend to the patients. And when we're talking about veterinary professionals, it's really pretty general to also include veterinary nurses, veterinary technicians, shelter workers, people involved in rescue, and anybody that has any kind of work with animals. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And it also includes farmers. We often leave them out. And receptionists, right? So Mm -hmm. receptionists at veterinary practices, also shelter workers, animal rescue organizations, disaster preparation people. So it's anyone who interacts with animals. Well, and I was just talking to a veterinary professional today who uh, requested some assistance in their hospital. And we were talking a little bit about all the different aspects of care that is provided by veterinary staff that they were really not trained to do up front such as screen for possible domestic violence if an animal abuse situation seems to be apparent, to then look for some of the red flags to show that it could be um, a symptom of a larger issue, but also to kind of monitor their reaction with the clients who have just had to euthanize their, their beloved pet and maybe refer out clients who seem to be struggling with the death loss of their their animal. There are so many high emotional energy interactions that take place when animals are involved. Veterinary social work practice is well positioned to provide a value added to veterinary practices, not only on the client side during the situations where pet owners they have to understand a, a poor prognosis for their beloved family member, or they have to make hard decisions because they may not be able to afford veterinary care, or they have to make decisions about relinquishment because mm-hmm. they're being evicted and can't bring their pet with them. So there are human conditions that veterinary professionals have to deal with, and that's where veterinary social workers can come in and provide real assistance. They can also um, be very, very helpful uh, in terms of veterinary hospitals. 
So there's been some quite a bit of work recently about suicide and mental health among veterinary professionals. And veterinary social workers do receive special training regarding issues related to mental health for veterinary professionals. And issues around the culture of a veterinary hospital and trying to create a healthy environment for people who are providing care to animals. Well, and Dr. Linden, before I started this program, I did not realize how high the suicide rate is among veterinarians. That was very disturbing to me. Yes, and, uh, you know, it sounds like the veterinary profession has taken it quite seriously and has taken real action. For example, hiring a director of well-being, Uh, the American Veterinary Medical Association hired uh, Dr. Jen Branch, who used to be uh, in Ohio, to oversee and create well-being programs for veterinary hospitals. Wonderful. Yeah. One of the things that you, you mentioned was the high cost of veterinary care. And I know that when I've been at an animal emergency clinic, I've often heard people complain about the high cost of their care and they couldn't afford to pay for an x-ray or whatever the, the test was. And during the intensive, the veterinary social work intensive that I was in in July, you talked about a very exciting program called Align Care. Would you like to share a little bit more about what that is? I would be very happy to. Align Care is a program of the Program for Pet Health Equity out of the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. And the director of that program is Dr. Michael Blackwell, who is the former dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine at University of Tennessee. And he created this group called the Access to Veterinary Care Coalition. They did some some research and came up with a report that helped us to understand, to address the issue of access to veterinary care. Mm -hmm. So Align Care is a One Health healthcare system that is designed to align current resources in a community using social service agencies and veterinary service providers that work with veterinary social workers. What we do is enroll people who are in public assistance and are considered a bonded family. So that's a family who considers their pet one of their family members. It's a pilot project at this point. Maddie's Fund has provided a very generous grant to the Program for Pet Health Equity to do research on pet ownership, access to veterinary care, bondedness to companion animals, and to pilot this notion of an aligned care healthcare system, whereby people who are on public assistance in means-tested programs can bring their sick or injured animal to an affiliated veterinarian who provides what's called incremental veterinary care. So veterinarians today are trained in gold standard veterinary care. Mm-hmm. And Incremental veterinary care means that there are cost-saving measures that veterinarians use in order to keep costs down. So Align Care is very interested in ensuring that zoonotic diseases are under control. So there's a public health aspect to the work. Mm -hmm. There are zoonotic diseases that when pets are not vaccinated against certain diseases, or are not spayed or neutered, that they contribute to overpopulation, and animals can become ill. 
what we do is increase access to veterinary care by providing a veterinary stipend. And we also have veterinary social workers that work with families on pet-related needs. This is a really exciting program, but you said it's a pilot. How long is this pilot going to be going on? Maddie's Fund provided funding for three years. So we are six months into implementation. We have four affiliate sites throughout the country. We have Phoenix, Knoxville, Asheville, and Patchogue, Long Island. So we are operational. We've enrolled just under 100 families, and we are following up with some research surveys with families and ensuring that their pets are getting the care that they need. So how is it going so far? It's going very well. It's been six months, and putting processes together to target families who are in public assistance and need sick or injury care, mm-hmm. enrolling them in, into the program, having them assessed by a veterinary social worker and connected with a veterinary service provider, and then following up with them to ensure that their pet received the care that they needed. We've learned a lot in, in, in the first six months. The first is that people are so appreciative for the help. We hear routinely, my dog is the most important thing to me. This dog, your dog is my family member, or my cat has been with me for so long, and I just can't afford veterinary care. Again, the target population for aligned care are people who are in public assistance. So they're no low income, essentially. Their pets need care. So we're, we're very pleased with, with, with how it's going. The veterinary service providers have been absolutely terrific in communicating with us, providing the, the care that the pets need, and the follow-up. I'm excited about this because one of the challenges with working at Community Mental Health is seeing the low-income clients that we worked with underserved population, there's a lot of stigma about them having animals in their house. Like, I've heard people say, well, if they can't afford to take care of themselves, why would they have animals? And yes. it's, it's a lot of times these animals save their lives. We have a, a hotline, a local hotline, and I would get calls from the hotline workers saying, I've got a call from somebody and they won't go into the hospital because they don't have anywhere to take their pet. During the hospitalization, they sometimes refuse surgery because this is a family member to so many people. And so I'm really excited to hear about your program that really values that connection regardless of income. Yes. So we both established established we've been in community mental health for a long time. And it's only recently that asking about pet ownership has started to appear on biopsychosocial assessments or intake Mm -hmm. forms. Mm -hmm. Until recently, no one one asked, you know, do you have a pet at home? Or if you have low income, how do you care for the pet or get the pet veterinary care or medicine if the animal needs medicine? It just wasn't asked about. Mm -hmm. When research is showing quite clearly now that people consider their pets family members. This idea of If you can't afford a pet, you shouldn't have one, ignores or avoids the reality that people have pets Mm -hmm. and that pets play a crucial role for people in terms of socialization, their own health, their own well-being, and that physical health, you know, we walk our pets, we get up and we take care of them. 
there are some some folks that I've I've recently been working with who are homeless and remain homeless because they will not relinquish their pet. Mm-hmm. So this is something that can't be ignored anymore. And even domestic with domestic violence or interpersonal violence, it's only until recently that orders of protection started asking about a pet mm-hmm. in the home because we know with um, an interpersonal violence violent relationships, sometimes the perpetrator can threaten to harm the beloved animal in the home in order to get to a victim. One of the things that I talked with Phil Arco about is what you're just talking about. And also, we mentioned the importance of anybody coming in for care of of any kind, having an intake assessment that includes what animals are in your family as one of the questions as part of that assessment. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the findings from the Access to Veterinary Care report was that millennials are one of the largest pet-owning groups, Hmm. and they are also projected to earn less than the generation before them. Mm -hmm. So what we can see in the future, in the not-too-distant future, are pet owners who are bonded to their pets, and have a hard time paying for veterinary care. Mm-hmm. Align Care, as a healthcare system, is set up to create communities that are self-sustaining, that bring together an interdisciplinary group, social service agency, animal welfare organizations, veterinary social workers, and veterinary care providers to ensure that those pets receive care. So it's an interdisciplinary approach that helps it, support it the animal is. and the people. It truly is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's aligning the resources that are already in the community. So I'll give you an example. If someone who is on a public assistance, uh, participating in a public assistance program, has a pet who has a sicker or is sick or has some sort of an injury, they enroll in a Lyme care, get assessed by a veterinary social worker, and connected to a veterinary service provider to provide the care that they need. At the same time, the veterinary social worker, for example, if the animal is not spayed or neutered, we can connect them with free or reduced fee spay or neuter clinics, places where they can get vaccinations at a very low rate. If they need assistance with preventatives like heartworm or medication, prescription food, Align Care pays 80% of those costs, and the pet owner is expected to pay 20, a 20% co-pay. Okay. So it's really aligning the resources. So the veterinary service provider is, is providing incremental veterinary care. The veterinary social worker is seeking resources and providing emotional support for the pet owner, and the community is providing other cost-saving resources. So it's aligning all of those disciplines and resources for the benefit of the family. That's really exciting. Is there a link to a website if people want to learn more about that that they could go to? The website is it's the Program for Pet Health Equity at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. So the website is pphe.utk.edu forward slash 
AlignCare, A-L-I-G-N-C-A-R-E. And that will bring your listeners straight to more information about AlignCare. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll make sure that that's in the show notes. I'd also like to, to share that AlignCare has recently received a very generous grant from the Deffield Foundation in order to provide AlignCare throughout ne- the entire state of Nevada. Wonderful. Dr. Linden, in the program, in the Veterinary Social Work Program, when they were talking about Align Care, they also talked about financial euthanasia and moral distress. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about what those are? Veterinary care is not free. So if a family is unable to afford treatment, veterinary treatment for their pet, then it's called financial euthanasia, where an animal is euthanized because the family cannot pay for treatment. So the outcomes of that is emotional harm for the family and for the veterinary provider. And so the veterinary provider has the skills and supplies and resources to provide the treatment, but the owner cannot pay for it. Therefore, euthanizing the animal creates what's called moral distress, that they can help, but they're not helping because the person cannot pay for it. Align Care is very interested in providing access to veterinary care to reduce distress for the family and how uh, the negative impact on the veterinary professional. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That must be terribly traumatic for that family who can't pay for veterinary care. Yes. So Align Care's purpose is to keep families together. So to reduce financial euthanasias, and to reduce relinquishments at shelters. And relinquishment is bringing an animal to an animal welfare organization and saying, I I can't care for them, either because they can't afford medical care, they can't afford food, or they're being evicted and they can't bring their pet with them to wherever they're going. We, you know, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic and economic crisis. So we're very concerned about what's going to be happening in the future in Mm -hmm. terms of evictions and foreclosures. Mm -hmm. And we're concerned naturally about the people who are being displaced and also their pets as family members as well. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Linden, you've been involved in the development of the International Association of Veterinary Social Work. This is really exciting. Could you talk a little bit about what this is and why does the human-animal studies field need another association? Yes, I'm very happy to. I'll share with you the kind of the origins of this. Okay. The International Veterinary Social Work Summit in 2018 ended with a session where attendees were able to talk about what they would like to see in an association for veterinary social work. A small group came together after the end of the association. So this is the end of 2018 to look at all the materials that that last work session pulled together and spent about a year. There was a a small group, what we called a formation group, of like-minded, committed people to veterinary social work and put together bylaws and articles of incorporation, began to put together a vision and a mission statement, and put together an idea of what the association might look like in terms of governance. In April of 2020, a call for nominees were distributed, and a number of people applied for board positions. 
So actually, on April 1st, 2020, the founding board of directors for the International Association of Veterinary Social Work was sworn in. And in those months, we have become incorporated. We have a website. We have a logo. That's exciting. We have our, yes, we have our vision and mission statement and our strategic plan. So it's been a very exciting past six months, and we will be inviting people to join us at the International Veterinary Social Work Summit in October, on October 8th through 10th, Mm -hmm. coming up, 2020. So we will have a small lunch session where we will be introducing people to the association. It's a really good question. Why do we need another association that has to do with the human-animal interaction? when there are really great organizations out there who do a great job. Mm -hmm. And the answer is this. It comes down to siloism. The International Association of Veterinary Social Work's goals include advocacy, training, identifying competency and standards, as well as an ethical code that is, able to encompass people who work in the many different realms of human-animal interaction. So is it one ethical code for all of them? I don't think that's going to be possible. Right. At the International Association of Veterinary Social Work, we have several board directors for committees, and we'll be inviting people to join us in those committees in order to build an organization that's inclusive and diverse. Okay. These are our committees that are overseen by board directors, governance and bylaws, membership and member services, communication and social media, ethics and standards of practice, education, finance and audit, and fundraising and development. So the mission of the International Association of Veterinary Social Work is to be an interdisciplinary membership organization that supports and promotes professionals who tend to the human needs that arise in the relationship between humans and animals by creating and maintaining professional standards, encouraging research, and advocating for a better world for all species. Some of the member benefits that we have in mind include networking, training and education, information and intranetwork resource sharing for members, identification of best practices, an exchange of ideas, and building relationships among a diverse set of disciplines, including social work, psychology, veterinary medicine, veterinary nurse and technician, and mental health practitioners or counselors. So since this is an international association, I would think that different countries would be involved as well that may have different practices in place. Do you envision that as well to create the same code of ethics across all of these different countries and states where you have yes. members? Okay. Yes. We are very purposefully an international association. Two of the board members are from outside of the United States, mm-hmm. and we very much are interested in expanding veterinary social work into other countries. We know that there are veterinary social workers who have been trained in the Veterinary Social Work Certificate Program from South Africa and Australia and Canada and other countries as well. And we're very purposefully seeking a very 
geographically diverse membership base. What are the me- some of the member benefits for the International Association of Veterinary Social Work? Good question. Some of the member benefits that we are exploring include continuing education, expanded access to veterinary social work training. We are working with some corporations to provide member benefits that may include 24-hour access to veterinary telemedicine or Mm. tele-advice and emergency veterinary benefits. That's one of the member benefits that we're looking for right now. Understanding that one of the main benefits of this work is being able to interact with like-minded people who are interested in helping people in the area where they interact with animals. So being around like-minded people who are largely animal lovers as well, the member benefits that we're putting together um, will speak to that as well, will reflect the interest in caring for animals. Okay. Now, Dr. Linden, what about students? Can they also be members? Yes. As a matter of fact, we are actively seeking students to join the International Association of Veterinary Social Work, and we are extending a complimentary first year in terms of membership fees. There's no membership fees for the first year for students. Oh, that's great. There are a lot of titles. There are a lot of, you know, protected names, titles, including rules and regulations. How are these going to be addressed, do you think, as part of the association? One of our goals for the association is to establish standards of practice that are based on ethical standards and at some point in the future, a protection of the title veterinary social worker. We have been in discussions with the National Association of Social Work to explore ways to create a specialization and certification in veterinary social work. So we are very enthusiastic Mm -hmm. and, and encouraged that we can work with them to try to make that happen. So right now... Veterinary social work is a certificate program, but it sounds like what you're, with these rules and regulations, it could possibly become a certification? That's certainly one of our goals. Okay. And we think that it is challenging, but we feel encouraged that we will be able to identify competencies that define veterinary social work. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that exciting program I'm excited to hear more about the the association. I know you've worked really hard. We have. There's, there's, the entire board has been working very hard since April, and it's an interdisciplinary board. Mm-hmm. So we have people who are new to the field of veterinary social work, and we have people who are kind of pioneers in the field. And that, that makes it very exciting. There are pioneers who have been engaged in mental health, and veterinary practice for decades. Mm -hmm. Dr. Strand coined the term veterinary social work more recently. So the International Association of Veterinary Social Work is very respectful regarding the pioneers who started the work, and we're now carrying it forward and creating a profession of veterinary social work. Okay. Has it been at least, well, I don't know, what year was veterinary social work started? 
The University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine and College of Social Work established the country's first veterinary social work program in 2002. Wonderful. And you are going to be presenting at the upcoming summit. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about this newly formed association? We have a lunch session where we will be unveiling the website Mm -hmm. and membership applications and some of the plans for the organization moving forward, including member benefits. Okay, wonderful. So you also have some exciting news. You're the co-editor of the forthcoming volume, The Comprehensive Guide to Interdisciplinary Veterinary Social Work, and that's to be published by Springer in 2022? That's correct. Could you tell us more Uh, about this book? Yes. So, you know, I have this theory that when you're on the right path, it opens up. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the board members from the International Association is a social worker and professor and well-published author. And she approached me to say, would you be interested in co-authoring the first ever veterinary social work textbook? And I I enthusiastically said, yes, absolutely. (laughs) So um, her name is Sana Louie, and she is from Case Western Reserve University. She's an attorney and a social worker and a master's in public health and a Ph.D. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yes, she is extraordinarily (laughs) well-educated and experienced. She and I put together an 18-chapter proposal Mm -hmm. that was accepted by Springer. And we have a very exciting lineup of chapter authors of people who are both in academia and in veterinary hospitals and colleges. It's an 18-chapter textbook that covers the history of veterinary social work, the interdisciplinary nature of veterinary social work practice, the link violence toward animals and people, animal-assisted interventions, compassion fatigue in animal-related caregivers, ethics in veterinary social work practice, We talk about uh, conflict management in animal-related settings. And we also have a guide to social work internships at veterinary hospitals. We also talk about veterinary well-being, addressing some of the mental health issues and the increased risk for compassion fatigue, burnout, and suicide among veterinary professionals. Mm -hmm. And animal-related practice management and veterinary social work. I can't wait to get Um, that book. It's very exciting. And as I said, we have a very exciting lineup of authors who are very knowledgeable about these areas, both in terms of research, academics, and practice. This will be the first time that this information about veterinary social work is contained in a textbook. Well, that's really exciting, Dr. Linden. Yes, it is. It is. We're we're very excited about it, both the International Association of Veterinary Social Work and the Comprehensive Guide to Interdisciplinary Veterinary Social Work will hopefully take us to the next level that we need to in terms of professionalizing this very exciting space where we are addressing the human needs at the intersection of veterinary practice and social work. Well, I am really impressed with your energy and your passion and you've been able to drive the field in a really positive direction. So I wanted to thank you for the work that you have done in the field and are continuing to do. Thank you. 
again, being around like-minded people like yourself and the people who have been through the veterinary social work certificate program and the folks who have not, the people who have been out in the field and who have been doing this very, very important work. Sandra Brackenridge is one of the pioneers in veterinary social work. Mm-hmm. She's, in, uh, she's in Texas. She is an instructor in the veterinary social work certificate program at the University of Tennessee. She was doing this work long before it, it became an, an actual specialty, a specialty area. There are a number of people like her, including Susan Cohen from, from New York, Jen Brandt in Ohio, and others who really started this work. So you and I have been talking about how back a few decades ago, working with people in community mental health, mm-hmm. and people weren't talking about animals. Well, there were some people who were. And they're the ones who laid the foundation for this, this professional space to be accepted, acknowledged, and now encouraged to grow and get us to the place where we'll have a textbook. We also plan for a journal as well so that there is so much more work to be done. And there are really terrific people who are determined to make this happen. And I've spoken with several of these people, and they are truly professionals and pioneers in the field, and I appreciate everybody's hard work. I'm excited to hear and to see what happens in the field in future years. I think it's just going to grow and grow, and we certainly appreciate, you know, social work is systems-based, right? So as large systems work together to recognize and acknowledge the role that animals play in human lives and challenges us to do better in recognizing and managing them. Well, Dr. Linden, I've really appreciated everything you shared tonight. Is there any, anything else that you'd like to share about the work you're doing? I would like to share that I'm an instructor in the Veterinary Social Work Certificate Program and the Veterinary Human Support Certificate Program at the University of Tennessee. The Veterinary Human Support Certificate Program was developed more recently to provide training and experience to veterinary professionals to skill them up in the human side. So some of the, just a few of the topics that they get trained in are suicide awareness, crisis de-escalation, how to find a mental health provider, understanding the difference between different types of mental health providers. Also, emotional CPR is part of the training and reflexive practice. So I think it's important to understand that this space is not just for social workers. So this space is for people who are interested in gaining training and expertise in this of human-animal interactions. So if anybody's interested in more information, should they contact the University of Tennessee? I mean, we can put another link in the show notes. Yes. So I would definitely say, so as of right now, the University of Tennessee is the only uh, certificate program. There are three other universities who are in the very early stages of exploring the development of a veterinary social work program. So one of the roles of the International Association of Veterinary Social Work is to assist with creating competency standards 
for the new educational programs so that there will be consistent standards and competencies for the veterinary social work space. Okay. University of Tennessee, I would, I would definitely say the link to the certificate programs, both mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. would be terrific. Okay. And a link to the International Association of Veterinary Social Work would be appreciated. Okay. Awesome. Well, Dr. Linden, thank you so much. I've appreciated everything you've shared, and I appreciate the hard work that you continue to do in the field. Well, thank you so much, Allison. And, it, you know, it's such a pleasure to know you. Thank you for doing these wonderful podcasts to share with people. Well, I have just really enjoyed doing every single one of them, and I continue to learn from everybody that I've spoken with. So it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. As I continue to meet, interview, and learn from the people in the podcast, I begin to understand the larger picture that's being composed when it comes to the relationship between people and their pets. As a graduate of the Veterinary Social Work Program, I've seen the power of bringing all disciplines to the table to have a discussion about utilizing their areas of expertise for a series of common goals, to take care of all aspects of the human-animal connection, to develop a safety net to assist underserved populations, and to help everyone keep their pets as part of their family despite financial hardships and life challenges. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, animalacademypodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy podcast.